Laura. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. ideal remake we take movies that either have been will be or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be today we're remake a movie so high up on my list of movies to remake that we may as well rob god while we're up here and stuck in this heist with me whether he likes it or not is norman mitchell so norman is 2000's dungeons and dragons a movie that has been will be or should be remade well, it has been kind of remade, I guess. Sort of, yeah. So I guess technically, yeah, it has been. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I would say it has been. I haven't seen the new one yet, but I still would say that it kind of has been. Because, I mean, it's a D&D game, right? So anything yeah, can happen. Absolutely. I, I should say for context that we're that this episode is going to drop, I think, the end of May. Uh, but we're recording it April 8th. <laughs> so the dungeons and dragons movie just came out norman has not seen it i have which is a weird thing for me because normally i'm the one that hasn't seen a movie it's good this movie is bad it is i agree so bad had you seen it prior to this watch i have i had a friend in high school that like really really liked this movie so like i've seen it more than a handful of times but there are still things i kind of forgot about because it's been like i don't know 15 years since i've seen this movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this was still very much described to me as the marlon waynes movie and i'm like okay i disagree uh, yeah <laughs> i mean he's in it he's in it he's some of the better things in it and, and he and he, he's playing a caricature and he's some of the better things in it yeah because he's trying yeah, he's trying, but he was like very much typecast into like what they wanted him to do in this movie. Yeah. And it, by the year 2000, some of it was already kind of getting tired, I think, of the popular consciousness. I mean, it's a very 90s movie that technically did not come out in the 90s. It's wild to me this was distributed by New Line a year before they distributed Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's New Line distributed this movie. <laughs> That's And a year later, wow. They distributed Fellowship of the Ring. That's uh I, that that's a hell of a glow up right <laughs> that's I that's about insane the special effects change yeah Depend, you know it matters who's working on that i so i was on dueling genre tonight this morning and scott said something that i didn't know but this is apparently one of the last movies where they didn't have the budget to finish the special effects so they just shipped it out as is oh well that explains more than a few things it explains some things but i'm gonna be honest it doesn't explain all that much because I don't think the issue is with the bad graphics. They are bad, though. Absolutely, <laughs> they are. They're not Last Starfighter bad, but they are bad. Yeah, but Last Starfighter is a charming movie. It is. It tries very hard to be very sweet, and the bad graphics are distracting, but that's not the actual issue with that movie. Nope. As, same that it's not the actual issue with this movie, either. No. This movie's just not great. Yeah, the the issue with this movie is the direction, the writing, the acting... The racism and the sexism. Yep. But once you can yep. ignore those five things, it's yep. it's a charming delight with uh, blue found, lipstick. Right. I found a handful of bright spots in this movie, but only a handful. Yeah. I I don't think it's worthwhile for us to like go through step by step, but... No. No. 
But I don't think the plot is the problem with this movie. No. Briefly, what happened, like, the, the nature of this movie is the, the there's the haves and the have-nots. And what the haves have is magic. And what the have-nots don't have is magic. You know, the thing fundamental to a, a, a fantasy setting. It's fine. Yep. Uh, it's classism. Yeah, it's classism in a movie, which uh, I can tell you right now isn't really what the remakes, what the new movie's about, and it's better for it. Also, this movie doesn't address it in any meaningful way. Like, it talks about it, but it never shows it to you, really. It's all talk and no show. And, like, the one character who is a mage that's with them never does any actual magic. Very little. She does, she she casts three spells in in the whole movie. Yep, yep. And whenever I'm playing a spellcaster in any setting, that's all I do. I barely right. walk. I stand around and look scared. <laughs> I I mean, I'm made out of tissue paper, but I'll cast a hell of a spell. Right. It's like, I, you got to do the cantrips. You got to do the healing touch. You got to do all the things. You got to do all of it. Yeah. And she does none of it. So I guess I should, instead of like really, because that's really at the end of the day, the movie. It's like, oh, it's two thieves. It's Ridley, whose last name, I swear to God, is Freeborn. Ridley Freeborn and Marlon Wayne's character Snails. They go, they break in, they're doing a robbery, but it's at the same time the bad guys are taking over. They're fighting over getting the magic stick to control the dragons. Ah, good guys versus bad guys, end of movie. Norman, I feel like I should take a step back and actually ask you this question. What's your history with D&D? I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons uh, since around the time that this movie came out, actually. Are you typically a player? Are you typically Dungeon Master? Do you go back and forth? I've gone back and forth a lot. Actually, uh, not long before we are recording this, I guested on an episode of the Protagonist podcast talking about storytelling and role-playing games, where oh, I go fun. like pretty in-depth about like my history with role-playing games and stuff on that, too, uh, nice. if anyone wants to, to listen to that more in-depth. Well, then, in lieu of having you repeat yourself, let's just say go listen to the Protagonist podcast. I presume that episode is out by now. Yes, it, it came up about a week ago now. Perfect. Okay, great. So scroll back to April, about April 1st, and uh, you should listen to Norman's full story on uh, role-playing On the Protagonist games. Podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Perfect. Protagonist Podcast. That's our plug. <laughs> it worked out. I didn't really play any Dungeons & Dragons or role-playing games in high school. When I was in high school, freshman year, we played Risk uh, during free period. And then we got into like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, which is kind of what, more where I've lived the vast majority. Like, I still play Magic. Former guest of the show and friend of mine, Claire Mulcarin, is my first DM, though, and she ran the game that I played whenever I was back home from college. And I actually didn't learn on Dungeons and Dragons. I learned on a different setting called Savage Worlds, which has a different, like, dice mechanics for leveling up and that sort of thing. I sort of prefer it, but I think that's just because it's what I had first. I mean, that that's kind of like a thing that a lot of people have is they just kind of prefer whatever they played first for a role-playing game. Because yeah. it's kind of how they got used to integrating like game mechanics to mm-hmm. the improv thing. So then it's yep. just kind of stuck in their head that way forever. Yep, that is 100% true. But I've since played a bunch of role-playing games. I played at a bachelor party recently. I played on a one-shot that probably isn't going to come out until July or August for a different podcast. I'll plug it when it does. Um, but yeah. Tabletop games are fun, everybody. You should be playing them. And you know who agrees with me? Chris Pine. And he seems like a smart guy. I keep seeing the little clips of him talking about being like, I fell in love with it. This was awesome. Everyone should do this. I mean, yeah. He His journey just getting nerdier and nerdier and nerdier is a delight to watch. I love all of it. 
right? I imagine he must have read a bunch of Wonder Woman comics when he was in Wonder Woman too. He just seems oh, like the kind sure. of guy that did. Yeah. Wait, this role has like a 50-year history? Uh, I'm going to go learn some of it. I mean, I'm not doing anything for these next couple of hours. I can read some comics. Yeah. It's it's a tax write-off. It's true. Yeah. So then I guess the real question is, in terms of talking about this movie, let's start simple. What are the things from this movie that you're interested in keeping? So kind of like the bare bones plot of this, I think is fine. Because I think the idea of like thieves getting caught doing something, getting wrapped up into like something bigger, like feels really D&D. And I think like- It just... does. That's why it's the plot of the new movie. There you go. So I think that just like <laughs> event to event- the plot of this movie makes sense. Yeah. I think that the character archetypes are salvageable. I just think that the script is bad. Mm-hmm. I just, they they all have bad lines. They're not read well. I think the, the actors, most of them don't seem like they're trying. So I think that like, if the dialogue was better and the actors were better, I think that most of this movie works just at a plot level, but it's like, it just doesn't because the only person in this movie that's trying 110% is Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Uh, and he's only on screen for like a total of 15 minutes. And he's trying so much that it's now to the point of parody that right. like he leaves everyone behind so much that everyone thinks he's not trying. Right. And then there's a couple bright spots of Marlon Wayans in this movie too. Like mm-hmm. he's very much typecast in this movie, but there are like places where what he's doing just works. Like his one-on-one confrontation with Damodar. Most of that works for me. Yeah, I I don't disagree. I like he's playing a caricature, but when he's outside of the caricature, I think he's doing an, an excellent job. Right. I think that the I can't remember her name right now. I think the actress that plays Marina is also just like really not treated well by the script. She doesn't oh, have anything no. to do because she is definitely better than this. Yes. Uh, that actress's name is Zoe McClellan. Yes. And. Like, there's a moment when she's been captured. She's not using any magic, because despite the fact that she's a wizard. They kind of go out of the way to show that, like, she can't do magic without a spell component pouch. But they never actually say it. But they do show that twice. Where, like, she scrambles to pick up the pouch with, like, the magic powder in it. Yeah. I mean, she scrambles to pick up the the pouch with the dark magic powder in it. Right. She uses it to, like, blast uh, a Damodar off of snails. Right. And then doesn't use it anymore. Right. Or no, I guess she makes a portal. portal. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. she opens a portal. You're right. There's a moment when she's captured and she's being interrogated. And that feels very much like uh, a rape scene. Yeah, it's framed that way for sure. And it's just like, this is not okay. No. I mean, her mind is being invaded. Her mind's being invaded by the monster that is holding Damodar's life in check. Right. I didn't it's already in his that. mind and it's invading her mind and it ultimately answers back to Jeremy Irons. It answers back to Jeremy Irons cuz like he gets like Damodar gets the information, goes and gets the thing and then goes and gives the information. It goes and gives the thing to Jeremy Irons. Right. Like but the monster in Damodar's head is something that Jeremy Irons controls. Oh, yes. Is it though? Because in that scene, so. in well, that he scene, puts it in him like... and then he takes it out. Yeah, but like in that scene, it sure seems like Damodar's controlling the monster. Yeah, I don't know. I think that that's just not well put together. <laughs> no, I mean, like the one thing that they're doing is like over the course of the movie, Damodar is getting like more and more inflamed and right. red because he's like being killed from the inside by this monster. 
And then he uses the monster to get information, which like, I could be like, okay, great. He's giving into this monster. He's becoming more monstrous. But then when he finally right. turns the, the, the staff to control the red dragons over to Jeremy Irons, and he's like, you promised you'd set me free. And Jeremy Irons is like, you're right. I did promise that. And then sets him free. Yeah. He which I'm like, it's, that's your honor among thieves right there. Yeah. I actually think it would have been a, a, a better villain thing for him to be like, you're right, I did. And then just like walk away. Like, I think that that would have been great. It would have made me laugh, actually. That's what I was expecting, because that's the villain thing to do. And then he right. did like the thing that he promised, which is wild to me. Yeah. I think it would have been interesting if it had been, you're right, I did promise to set you free. And then he kills Damodar and it's the monster that was inside that has been set free of being inside Damodar. That'd be interesting, too. I could, I could see that. Something something other than just, I made a promise and now I've kept it. I'm a good villain. Lawful evil. Lawful evil. Despite the fact that the entire rest of his character is very chaotic. Right, just hamming it up every step of the way. So there's this Empress, Empress Savina, who has a staff to control gold dragons. And the, the <laughs> Jeremy Irons wants her to give that up so that Secretly, he can take control of the kingdom, but also because it's too much power for one person to have. And she wants to use that power to redistribute magic to everybody else. To treat everyone equally. Ah, how dare her. Yeah, seriously. And and then it's like, and then she says no. And then they like, all right, great. We're the wizards. We're going to, we're going to divide up in 50. You go to team A, I'll go to team B. And then we're going to fight and kill each other. Sound good? Sound good. Great. Fight. Oh, dragons. Damn. Yeah, yeah, dragons. And there's even a dungeon in this movie. We got both. Oh, that's true. Good for them. What else would you keep? So you want to keep the base, basic basic plot structure of thieves get embroiled in a thing. Yeah, and I think that these character types kind of work and they could be served better. I do like most of the kind of design work on this movie, not counting the unfinished CGI. I think most of the costuming like feels appropriately fantasy. I like the look of a lot of the sets in the movie. I actually like the score. Like, it doesn't. It does what it's supposed to do. Like, it feels very fantasy. I think it works. Yeah. Could it be better? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's true of everything in this movie. But like, I think the score mostly does what it needs to do here. Nothing stands out as like sounding wrong to me. But overall, I think like the production design on this movie is fine, and the bare bones plot is great. I really just think that ninety percent of this movie's problems just stem from like bad dialogue and actors like not being invested in what they're doing. It's what it seems yeah. like. And points for, like, aesthetic design, like, they were trying. Like, this is, like, the one movie that's ever been allowed to film in the Sedlik Ossuary, that bone church in uh, the Czech Republic. That's, huh, interesting. It's, like, the one movie, and then this movie filmed there, and then they were like, we will not be allowing this to happen again. Never again. And, it, like, you see pictures from inside this church, and you're like, this church is so cool. It is literally just full of, it is just a, it, it's a bone church. It is a church made of bones. It's insane. It's cool as hell. Yeah. It's, uh, it is the most metal place in the world, and it's a church. Wild times a few hundred years ago. Yeah, seriously. I tentatively agree with you. I think that the nature of the movie as itself isn't necessarily a problem. I think that there's a lot of little things that it, that it does very poorly. Like, for example, they, they rescue this map. And then it turns out that the person who had the key to get inside the map is our protagonist. Our protagonist is the most Mary Sue character I've ever seen. 
Yes. <laughs> I don't like to throw that term around, but yes. I only like to use it to describe male characters. I see. For those that don't know, Mary Sue is basically someone who's good at everything. Batman, for example. Yes. Someone who's good at anything with like very little explanation in the plot as to why. Yeah. Our main character in Dungeons and Dragons, which fundamentally should be an ensemble movie because it's a party. Right. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you're play- if it's a solo play Dungeons and Dragons where it's just you and the D- one person in the DM, what you end up with should feel like The Mandalorian because I, in my in my heart, believe that's what that show is. That makes sense. And, but this was like, we have everyone else. This one person can go do the thing. This one person has all the answers. Yeah, that's, that's, those are the, the big parts of the plot where it like feels like, why are, why are we doing this? And then like but, the elf and the dwarf don't do anything. Nothing. To like serve the plot at all. Norda and Elwood Gutworthy. But yeah, they don't do, they don't do nothing. Um, but what I was going to say is like, there's a moment where they like, they rescue this map. Ridley, for some reason, has the magic words to get into the map. And then he and Marina go in the map, get information, and we don't see any of that. Right. And it's something that, like, bonds them together in some way that we have no insight on. Yeah. Which is a bad choice, story-wise. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it. what should happen is we should go into the map with them. They go on this whole little mini quest, and then they come out, and then they get out of the map and are surrounded by the end of a battle and we're just and they're just like um right and snails is like never leave me again right like they they should they should come back up in the woods like they do in the movie and every like norda and elwood and snails are like a little beat up but they got away but like they have to explain to them what they just went through but we should see what they went through because it should be the thing that we get to see where marina's character flips from like coming from the majocracy like down to him the majocracy that's great presumably this trip is also what convinces ridley to be like of help like it convinces ridley to be like oh i should be going and helping this class of people who i've spent my entire life hating right but also it subtly hints that ridley himself also comes from magic because he had magic words and like his dad was a wizard or something and like we don't get any of that Right, never comes up again. It never comes up again. It's just, oh, uh, someone needs to have a skill? Ridley has it. Yeah, makes mm-hmm. sense. Ridley has what I like to call Jonathan Taylor Thomas hair, the most 90s of all hair, hair that I personally am a big fan of and like to have it myself in my own life. Well, there you go. And uh, yeah, as we all know- like the most generic 90s, uh, oh, yeah. 90s looking protagonist for a movie that came out in 2000. I agree, and that is my vibe. um but so my pitch to change that a little bit is it's basically just like it the it's a majocracy they're the people it's the haves and the have-nots but you can't restrict magic in D &D. it just doesn't work like that so my pitch as like a slight tweak to that is that it's not that they're just restricting magic just generally it's not that just like they're the only ones who have these skills it's that what they're actually restricting are the components. That makes sense. It, they're controlling resources. Yeah. So they're controlling the resources. And obviously, there are some components like druids or, or whatever, like uh, nature-based classes. Like, oh, I need a leaf. You can't have access to all leaves. That's fine. But there are some things that's like you need this kind of pepper or this kind of thing or a little bit of gold, a little bit of that. Right. The 
<laughs> I I could see a real line in the sand between the technologically based magic and just the pure wild magic. Right. In a very owl house way, <clears throat> though not intentionally. Right, yeah, if you treat it like civilized magic is like all the there's yeah. all these structured rules and mm-hmm. hierarchies and everything they have to follow and this is this is the way and they're the ones in charge mm-hmm. so they keep it that way. They control the the civilized components and the what what's it called when someone has a magical artifact that they they use to channel their magic through? Uh focus. Their focus and they control the focuses. That, that would be my simple pitch to be like, okay, we can still have haves and have-nots, which is something very distinct to this movie and isn't really a, a component of the new movie. And I think that's what we should do. Yeah. I feel like whoever wrote this movie, that comes from being like, well, we want our main characters to be thieves. So mm-hmm. why would there be thieves in a world where magic is like free flowing and available? And then like, I think that's where the idea kind of stem- yeah. stemmed from. Cause if they could get magic, then like magic can just like make so many people's lives easier. Why are we, why do we have these thieves? Like what's happening here? What, what, yeah. what got us here? Also like magic worked a lot differently in older editions of D and D. And I can right. see how older editions would lead to a world like this. Okay, that makes sense. I don't really know how magic worked in pre- in previous editions. I, I watched a, a Ginny D breakdown of this movie, and I think she says that this came out the same year that third edition came out. Yep, it came out the same year as 3.0. 3.0. And that was well-received? Well, 3.5 came not that long after, because 3.0 was uh, full of uh, mostly kind of like publication issues, but also like just some stuff that was seen as like really terribly balanced by mm-hmm. most players of the game immediately. 3.5 came out like less than a year after the launch of 3.0. There was a pretty, pretty major revision of the game, but 3.0 was after second edition had been out for like 24 years mm-hmm. from like 76 to, to 2000. Interesting. It does 3.0 or 3.5 talk about using beholders as just regular grunt guards and then they don't no. do anything no beholders are supposed to lore wise like beholders are generally like megalomaniacal narcissists that believe they're the only thing that's real <laughs> really yeah like i didn't par- know that they're paranoid they hate everything that isn't them including other beholders that's like one of the things like beholders is a monster how do they breed I don't know. I guess I don't they really get over it. Know. I actually oh. have a book that would probably tell me. I have a book from 3.5 that's like about the major aberration types and like talks about their biology and stuff. Oh, yeah. I remember reading some, something somewhere about how a beholder comes into existence and they're not they're not sexual beings. It's like some sort of thing has to happen in the world and that gives birth to a beholder. But I don't remember what it is. Yeah, I don't either. It's been a while since I looked since I read over Lords of Madness from 3.5. I'm sure that talks about it in detail. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, Beholder is, uh, it's like Mike Wazowski without arms and legs and it floats and it has a bunch of uh, tentacle eyes uh, on top of its head. Yeah. Yeah. And it can fire a whole bunch of lasers at you without without warning. Which is very fun because I only think of it in terms of that one episode, the bureaucracy episode of Futurama. Perfect. Yes. As you should. Absolutely. Right. So what we have is we have a couple of thieves. So 
I think if we restrict the components of the world and the other things that people need to do magic is you can have Marina lose her components and because they're so restricted, she can't get them back. But I feel like her arc would be learning to use the more natural elements and the the natural components available in the world to attempt to do some of the same styles of magic that she wants to be able to do without that. And they bring that up kind of in this movie, but then never follow up on it with Tom Baker elf randomly. Uh, that's right oh yeah there was the that healer old elf who was like and she was like you can do magic without having things and he was like yeah. magic's in everyone you're an idiot like yeah and uh uh norda should just also be able to constantly be saying right. stuff like that right norda needs things to do uh, yes i also maybe don't want to kill snails yeah maybe i mean i can see why one person would one member of the party would die I can see why you would want to do that. And it yeah. kind of makes sense for the comedic relief character to be that character generally. Right. I agree, but I feel like, honestly, I thought Norda or Elwood Gutworthy would have been the right people to die because they didn't do anything. So the best right. they could do is like sacrifice. Like Elwood Gutworthy was the dwarf that they just pick up along the way on accident and then just keeps going with them for no reason. Right. Other than, well, I'm already here. Yeah, he doesn't like them. He doesn't like what they're doing. He doesn't care about what they're doing, but he's there anyway and he won't leave. Right. And then he's like, wait, this is for the Empress? Someone's going to pay me. Yeah. And, like, if he could, like, if he's just kind of the grump who's, the grump with the heart of gold, like, that that's right. what his character is. He just needs to do more for the death to feel like it matters. Yeah. It's, he has to sacrifice himself in a way that is, like, they weren't expecting him to do it. And then he's just like, Rrr. Ah, no one else is gonna do it i guess i'll go die right yeah i'll be i'll take the bullet for you it's fine everyone yeah. keep going uh, I, can take it. I guess i get to have some sort of meaning and you have like this whole grand purpose and i guess what you're doing is important right. i've lived a solid 274 years i was hoping to get another 300 or so but this was pretty good i don't know how long dwarves live i don't think right. it's that long no, it, I think it's like 450, I think, is their max age in D&D. Or at All least right, so in, I was close. In, in like 3.5 Pathfinder. Yeah. I don't know what it is in 5e anymore, because I know that they've been mucking around with all that stuff lately. They move slowly. They're made out of they're, they're dirt in their veins and all that. Right. But yeah, I think that all, the characters all kind of need more to do. It needs to feel like an ensemble. You're right. It, it's it's weird that like every time something important has to happen, it's just like, it's you know, we got one main character, which I kind of get like why you would do that in a movie but like it's a D movie what would you like to do with the jeremy irons character who has a name it's uh profion in the it, so the movie starts with him creating this magical tool to also let him control dragons and, and then it, it briefly work. works it briefly works and is awesome and then doesn't work and is dumb and he's like well i give up on this thing forever despite the fact that it briefly worked right i think it should work it's so much cooler. If it works, you need to come up with some other reason, like some other some other reason he's doing what he's doing to like try to interfere with their quest, which might just be as like, well, if I have two of these. Well, I think I think it can also function like it's this staff that gives him ultimate power, but it feeds off of magic and it needs to draw on magical things. Right. And so as the majocracy is hoarding components, he's the one who ends up like he's the the <laughs> the master of banking or whatever that's not it but like the the supplies minister and so instead of like allowing like 
all other components to go out into the world. Like he's using them to fund his own singular power. And he can't have the Empress redistributing components to the people because then he can't have his ultimate power. And if she redistributes, A, he'll be out of a job and B, he won't be able to have his master power and none of that is good enough for him. And he he wants to get all the resources so that only he has magic and that's the way it would go. What if the he creates a staff that doesn't control dragons? It controls oh, like, other also, monsters. Great. Controls, doesn't control dragons at all. Controls other monsters. And then he finds out that there is another staff that controls dragons. He's like, well, I want that too. But he like orchestrates monster attacks so he can steal supplies from himself to hide so that other people can't keep track of them. He gets to write it off as like a loss or a theft, mm-hmm. but they just get rerouted to him. You can play around a little bit with that. Well, you can even have him, he's crafting his staff off of the legends of this one staff that once existed, this ultimate staff for controlling uh, the, the, the monsters of the realm. And so he has made his version, but it's a knockoff. And he's right. like, this is great. It's enough. Yeah. Then he uh, finds out, oh, the real one is actually out there somewhere. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hmm. If I had both getting that staff i wouldn't need to hoard magical resources because that one is supposedly its own source of magic right uh, it's this wizard ultimate versus, artifact yeah wizard versus sorcerer the magic is the magic is in you yeah um, i always wanted like one of my pitches for like if they ever had harry potter run by a not terrible human being would be some sort of person who isn't specifically a wizard they're themselves a source of magic and they like that like it's the next step in like chosen one narrative or whatever right and so they can't do magic but everyone around them is better at magic when they're like a blue lantern exactly like a blue lantern it just turns off all the red magic it's great powers up all the green magic yeah what was the main blue lantern's name he had a ridiculous name uh saint walker is that's right his name is saint yes his first name is saint last name walker that's right thank you you're welcome. I love him. He's like a, he's just like this very gaunt, white, like very white skinned alien with like the one head tentacle. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed him in that 3D animated Green Lantern show that was only around for a season. Ah, oh, he was yeah. so good. That show was excellent. I didn't, I never <sighs> finished it. I don't think I, I caught some of it, but like, I thought that the animation style was kind of stilted, but like, oh, it very I really give it another it. chance and like, get very back strange into animation it. style. The animation style was bad. But then, like, there's a whole episode in Young Justice that is, like, canonizes that whole show within oh, Young cool. Justice. And it's just, like, really? Awesome. Okay. Nice. Uh, I, it that's was. Cool. I love stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't love that season of Young Justice, but that episode is great. I'll have to track um, it down just because I love Green Lantern stuff. What do you want Norda's arc to be? The The Lady Elf. So I think that, like, one of the big problems with Norda is that she's, like, completely detached from the other main characters in this movie. In the same way that, mm-hmm. like, Elwood is. So, like, kind of my pitch to fix both Norda and Elwood Great. is that Elwood should be part of a group of thieves with Ridley and Snails from the beginning. Great. It's a Love group it. of three, three, like, three thieve guys over here doing their thing, and then the three of them break in and they go off. And that Norda should be, like maybe a member of the guard or something, someone that works at the mage school in some capacity that is already friends with Marina. She should already be involved like with Marina and this whole thing, at least on friendly terms and get dragged into it. Cause she was the guard on duty that night when all this went down, but she already has an established relationship with Marina that we can build off of. 
because like Love I think it. that's the biggest problem is that Elwood and Norda aren't connected to the like the halves of the group that they kind of should be the way that the movie is already structured. Yeah. Because Norda works for the Empress already. She's part of like some kind of guard structure. She's called a tracker, but like she's part of some kind of imperial guard structure or bureaucracy already. So like just make her part of like some yeah. something closer to Marina and then those two characters have a re- reason to have a relationship. She's set up in the movie as someone who's going to be like a, a bad guy, but then it turns out that she's a good guy. Right. And there's Great. there's no even reason to do that. No, it it, do, it doesn't matter. Like pe- people don't exist in a vacuum. Like the fact that Marina has no one in her life and she's just a free-floating right. agent is like like that's weird to me. Yeah. Then Norda and Marina can share the, more than a single line. <laughs> Great. Yeah, that'd be nice. But they're technically not talking about a man. This movie passes the Bechdel test in the bare minimum way. Yeah. Uh, second follow-up question. Blue lipstick, yay or nay? You know what? I'm fine with it. Okay, good. Well, because as you said, like, the character designs themselves aren't terrible. Yeah. I I would make Norda wear a little bit less ridiculous armor, and I would yes. give Marina n- not just a dress. Yeah. I think Norda, Norda's boob plate is the yeah. the worst design choice in the movie. Correct. It's very weird. It does nothing. It also looks even more Awful. like plastic than Damodar's armor. <laughs> Damodar's armor looks like plastic. Yeah. I I love the whole like dark enforcer armor that Damodar's wearing. Yeah. I I'm, I yeah. I, I think it could be made to look a little more realistic, but still keep like what it's got going on. Like mm-hmm. it, it's a good start. Like everything about this movie feels like it's a first draft. Yeah. I, that said, the trap that Snails gets trapped trapped in in Damodar's room when he goes to steal the map, which I'm not sure why they're stealing the map. They already got the information and they have the secret right. word, and they're the only ones with the secret word. The map is useless to literally everyone else. I don't know why they went after the map. I don't either. You're right. That doesn't make sense. But like there's a trap in Damodar's room when he wants to go grab the map, he steps on a carpet and then the carpet turns into quicksand. Yes. And it's very cool. It's a really good practical effect, like a surprisingly yeah. good one uh in this movie. Apparently Marlon Wayne apparently it's oatmeal. And apparently Marlon Wayne's could like not look at oatmeal the same way again after this effect because I believe it. They basically just made a pit of oatmeal. And then painted a carpet over it. And he just stepped into it. Yeah, like they only had one take, I guess. But like he steps into it and then just goes, like just sinks into it. I love the way Damodar appears in that frame. Yeah. Damodar is an intimidating and terrifying opponent. Yeah. I think that the whispery voice thing is just a little overdone. Yeah, I mean, I don't... The actor's a little too committed to the whispery voice thing, I think. Yeah, I'm a... I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to be doing that with my recasting. It's just much more just, I'm the enforcer guy. I like the quiet threatening thing. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be quite so whispery. No. It's it's very strange. Yeah. I, I also like, I, I like the juxtaposition of like big enforcer to like smaller, big boss, bad guy kind of thing. Yeah, me too. I I always like that sort of thing. Like, the more threatening guy is the guy that doesn't look as threatening. I like that sort of thing. Before the implied mind rape of Marina in the jail, like, they did an interesting thing with the character where Damodar is, like, like actually acting a little bit to get Marina on his side. He's like, dude, I don't want to go against the Empress. I'm being controlled. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. 
I think that that's the one scene where both of the both of those actors like felt like they had something worth doing. Yes, and they like so. committed to it a little more, and it works. Yeah. Like it's the best acting from either of them in the movie. A hundred percent. And then it it's completely ruined by what happens immediately after. But like that scene is good, and I like the idea of. I, I want Damodar to just be like, yeah, I, I just support this guy. That's just what I do. But in this moment, I know that I, I'm going to lie. Right. I want him to pass a deception check. Yeah. I actually, I think the movie would be a lot more, I think that his character would be more interesting if Marina buys it in the moment. Yeah, I agree. Like, it should work. Yeah. I, I think there should be a lot. I mean, it's D&D. Like, there needs to be playing. Like, they do it a little bit. I'm assuming you've watched Vox Machina. Uh, I actually haven't. Okay. I haven't watched the animated Legend of Vox Machina series. Fair enough. That's what I meant. But yes. There's a moment in the first season where they can't open a door. They can't lock they can't get past a locked door. They just it and it's clear that they just keep failing their roles. And I it's a D&D movie and this movie takes itself so seriously, but at the end of the day it should be fun. That's one of the things that the new movie does exceptionally well as Yeah everybody is having fun like clearly this is a delight to be a part of i think there is kind of a moment like that in this movie but again it's only ridley that's a part of it when he's in xylus's maze and he gets to the last thing and it's just like this really complicated looking door and he doesn't know how to get by it so what's he do he just smashes the thing that started the door coming down ah that was great it, that's actually like, one of the better moments in the thing. It is. And it and it, he smashes like an hourglass that's being held by what's clearly just a glove on an arm through a wall. Yeah. I'm like, I really hope you didn't hit the guy holding the hourglass, but right. great job. Poor stunt man. Yeah. I didn't even, I forgot about that whole sequence with like the thieves guild. And it's like there's honor among thieves. And then the head thief is like, no, there's not. I actually really like that. I I actually think that keeping the thieves guild thing in the movie is good. I agree. So I, I think for our purposes, our general plot is going to be stealing components, using the magic, having the magic, taking control, big bad guy. And then we have our three thieves of Ridley, Snails, and Elwood. And Elwood. And Elwood going to steal components because they're valuable, like they're black market, super valuable. Right. They're going to sell them to some like closeted wizards out in the streets so they can keep doing their magic or clerics so they can heal other people in some district in town. Yeah. And they do, they just happen to be there. The big coincidence of the movie is that they happen to go steal from this magic storehouse on the same night that the people who run the storehouse, Marina and her boss, get attacked. Yeah. And But for me, my rewrite of that is that they're being attacked to try to like treat it as, oh, the, the non-mages are attacking us. We have, to, we have to consolidate the components even more. They can't have any of them just as a, as a political move. That makes sense. I can see that. But, like, the Empress has kind of figured it out, so she's also, like, let somebody know, hey, there's this thing that you need to be looking for. There's this thing you got to be doing. Yeah. Because one of the things I like about this movie, the way that it's put together, is that the Empress actually has agency in the movie. And ultimately, she's the one that beats Profian. So, like, I actually really like that about this movie. I I, I agree. I was watching it and I was just like, oh, wow, yeah. So this young Empress is actually the one that, like, gets the victory at the end of the day. I think that's really nice, actually. It's it's a very nice reversal on Neverending Story. Right? I know. She does look very much like a princess from Neverending exactly Story. like her. Yeah. It's the little girl from Hocus Pocus, isn't it? Isn't that who... Oh, is uh, it? Thora I don't Birch. know. She's the empress in this movie. Isn't that who this is? I believe you. It is Thora Birch, and she is from Hocus Pocus. You're absolutely yeah. right. She's the, she's the little sister from Hocus Pocus. That's her. 
That's amazing. I it looks just that. like her. Like once you once you realize that it's just like, oh wow, yeah. That's incredible. I love it. Yeah, but like basically Profion is basically setting the stage to do this big massive takeover, and the only one holding him back is Empress Savina. And so she's like, Come on, guys, go get the thing so we can stop the guy. Yeah. And progression of movie. Right. And then controls monsters, but not dragons because you but not dragons you can't control dragons yeah that's why she has this this like ancient artifact that's part of the kingdom that can control the dragons it's not something that can be replicated it's an artifact okay so then do we still want the empress to have something that control dragons and then they find another one that can control dragons or i actually i think that that's actually still fine because it gives the empress even though it's like not a power she would ever use the fact that she has this power is what sets prophian off okay all right. Because that, I think that makes sense to me. That's fair. Okay. Because even an evil guy like needs a motivation, needs a reason that he would go around and do this in a secretive way. Because if he just I, had all this power or this ability, he would just do it in the open. There needs to be something true. that she has that holds him back. I think that's fair, and I agree. But I feel like it needs to be the two things that, that like the, the power she has and then the MacGuffin, I think need to be different enough. Mm. Like, I feel like she has she has the full authentic power over like the civilized component magic monsters. So there's two kinds of dragons, right? There's the, in the movie. Yeah. There's gold and red. And in D and D it's chromatic, which is like red, blue, green, black, right. And uh, white. And it chromat. And then the metallic is gold, silver, brass, bronze, and copper. Yeah. It and would make sense for me. Metallic that she dragons can... are good. And the chromatic dragons are evil. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like the actual thing that they're going after is a source of not civilized magic, but a source of elemental magic. Mm. And that's why it was kind of lost because everything in this civilization is kind of going towards civilization and they like kind of disregard the natural world as having any value. And so Profian not only wants to get this artifact to drain it and give him full control over magic, but also because he doesn't see it as having any value it's just natural magic, useless, dumb. Right. He sees no need to use that power other than as a battery. Correct. So let's say that it doesn't control dragons. What does it do? I mean, if it can controls the elements, like if it controls natural elements, then you're still looking at something like incredibly powerful and destructive, but in a way that Prophean doesn't see because he thinks, well, controlling the water and, and the wind that's beneath me. I would rather control people's hearts and minds and, control their wills maybe the thing that this other staff does is it controls like uh, the kind of magic that like rallies societies can yeah. order that's what the empress has so then uh, what the empress has is it it can control hearts and minds it's basically the heart heart from captain planet right but like it also can like control dragons and people and everything kind of like in large groups and then Profian's right. magic is kind of emulating that but isn't quite as strong and it is artificial mm-hmm. and then the the MacGuffin of the movie will turn you basically into the avatar right yeah great but he doesn't see the value in that because he would just rather use it to control people right I'm just trying to draw a distinction between them yeah. because like the movie as it exists now doesn't have that right 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 it's just like it it's using the chromatic metallic dragon thing but also just using two kinds of dragons. Yeah, it's not even that. It's just gold and red. Right. Good. Okay. All right. Cool. So then we have that and it's 
at the end of the day, we end up getting this big clash between the dark magic, the her artifact magic, and then the elemental magic. Right. And somehow it ends up being an actual clash because it is still two incredible artifacts against one, but Profian ends up tapping it, like absorbing all the components of the of the civilization and is using that and is like overpowered. And when he's defeated, they're now out of components and everyone in civilization has to rediscover magic through the natural world again. And that gives us a nice environmentalist message. Exactly. And that's what we want. They have to they have to foster the land so that they can Tasha's hideous laughter. Yeah, sure. <laughs> just just collapse to the ground laughing for uh two to ten rounds. And, and exactly. And if they didn't take care of their oak tree, they wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. And I think it's that's important. what our movie needs to be. Good. Yeah, because there needs to be a push and pull between like what the powers here are. There yeah, needs to be a, some sort of other relationship to them. And then it's like, yes. well, you can't do anything without either of them. You need both. You need to keep yeah. these things in balance. Good. Okay, good. I'm on board. Let's talk casting. Let's talk ca- casting. So obviously we have to start with Ridley, whose last name is, I swear to God, Freeborn. Ridley Freeborn. That is a terrible name. <laughs> It, it's it sounds like a very stereotypical like human fighter name uh, well it's clearly well star wars is luke skywalker yeah so this is our star wars and this is ridley freeborn <laughs> big thumbs up yeah big old thumbs up so for ridley freeborn i wanted someone who is both cool and impressive but also can inspire hope I went with an actor who's in The Get Down, he's in Dope, and he's also the voice of Miles Morales in In Spider-Verse. His name is Shamik Moore. That's a good pick. I actually, I was looking at that actor too, but I, I went with somebody else. Tell like, me who you went with. What I wrote down. Uh, in, in my mind, like, I feel like Ridley needs to be, like, impetuous, overconfident, charming. Anthony Ramos is who I wrote down. Oh, I don't think I know who that is. Um, he plays Uznavi in, uh, in The Heights. Uh, he was also in Hamilton. Well, I've seen Hamilton. I have not seen In the Heights. Uh, he's he's very good. He's he's very fun. He definitely, uh, his character in In the Heights really comes across as like this kind of overconfident, arrogant guy that at the end of the day has a heart of gold. He, here's why I think we should go with Anthony Ramos. And it's weird. So in multiple, <laughs> in multiple things, he's played a character named Ramon. He's in the new A Star is Born in 2018 playing a character named Ramon. And he also, in 2020, played a character named Ramon Hall. And the reason why that's the movie that gets it is because he's in a movie called Honest Thief. <laughs> there you go. And uh, you know what? Sometimes it's as simple as that that gets the, the, final, the final say. Anthony Ramos, truly an honest thief. Truly. That brings us to snails. Who do you have for snails? So I, I just was kind of thinking like who do i think would have the energy to kind of play this comedic this like comic relief character then ultimately like kind of puts himself in harm's way to save everybody else and mm-hmm. but who would i want to see do something like that and the answer is daniel radcliffe because i just want to continue to see him do weird funny small projects <laughs> daniel radcliffe has been a real theme to all of the castings that i've been doing recently <laughs> I, I think people just saw weird and are just like, we want to see him more do more stuff because this it, is really he's fun. So good. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think it's great. I, I don't love taking a black character and making it a white guy. I agree. So mine, I, I took a character who I don't know as being particularly fun, 
but I think does a good job and performs a job really well. And I feel like if you're going for the non-stereotypical kind of humor of, I think you could go for a piccolo style of humor where it's like funny without knowing you're funny. Yeah. It, it, the straight man, right? Like that's yeah, the thing. Very yeah. much so. And so this character has been in obsession. He was in something called do revenge and he is one of Miss Marvel's harem. Uh, this actor is named Rish Shaw. Rish Shaw. Yeah. I think he was the other descended from the crystal beings or whatever. He was the kind of, he was the main boo. Yeah, I haven't actually even watched Miss Marvel. That's like still on my list. I need to catch up on the Marvel stuff really badly. <laughs> well, I will recommend the show that Nick Jimenez, who was the guest on last week's episode, recommended to me, and that's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. It's very cute. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur does look pretty great. I love the yeah. wackier stuff that Marvel has like yeah. in their catalog. I want more of it to become Absolutely, more mainstream. Yes. Um, so I would push us towards Rishaw. Yeah. Cool. So then let's talk about Marina. For Marina, I want someone with much more agency. And yes. I I've definitely cast this actress before on this show, but there's just the story of when she goes into the audition room in Runaways when she was playing a, a feminist kind of character. And she's like, okay, so what kind of feminist do you want me to be? Do you want me to be this kind of feminist, this kind of feminist, this kind of feminist? Because I'm pulling from this, 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 this. And she's very smart, very on top of it, and like very clever. And to also make her a wizard would be very fun. She's also in something called How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which I think is great. This actress's name is Ariella Bearer. Ariella Bearer? Yeah, B-A-R-E-R. Oh, she played, um, oh, what is the character's name on Runaways? The one with the she, Velociraptor. Yeah, the youngest one. She's great in that. I really, She's not I really, the youngest one. The youngest one is the, is, the, is the younger sibling who punches. Oh, is he younger than her? No, the, 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 the child. Because they're all teenagers and one child. I'm talking about the show. Uh, but yeah, in the no. show, they're like all around the same age. I think she's the youngest in the show. Is she actually? I think so. No, because the, the mutant... Because none of them are children. They're all like... They're, they're all, all teenagers. teenagers. But I still think one of them is the youngest of all of them, and it's not her. The Velociraptor girl is not the youngest. Oh. Maybe she it's, the, it's the one with super strength is the youngest. But yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, she's really good in that. I wish that show stayed as good as the first season, from what I know about the second one. I wish lots of things about that show. I wish that in the first <laughs> season they ran away. Yeah. <laughs> kind of lying to you, right? Yeah. Uh, who did you have for Marina? So I had a really hard time with this. I was just like thinking about um, like actresses that I might want to see more of. And the one that I kind of landed on because I would like to see her do more work is uh, Victoria Pedretti. She's she plays the youngest sibling in Haunting of Hill House. The one that is spoilers for Haunting of Hill House, I guess. The one that is the ghost, the one that that is dead in the first episode. Nell, I haven't seen it. Oh, she's she's really good in that. I just want a character that like I I wanted an actress that could be more, like more serious, but also like have a lot of emotion when she needs to, especially if we keep anything resembling the scene with with Damodar. Oh man, she's going to be in Pony Boy, which I assume is some sort of uh, Outsiders. <laughs> I, I probably. Uh, she's been in You, Haunting of Bly Manor, Haunting Haunting of Bly Manor, Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, two completely she, different haunting things. Yeah, I think she she plays like a nanny in Haunting of Bly Manor. I think. She plays the, Danny Clayton, whoever that is. Yeah. Like the the producers and the director of, of Haunting Hill House loved her so much that they brought her back to play a role in the next one. That's great. I love it. I still want to push us towards Ariella. I'm good with that. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, the whole purpose of Marina, Marina's whole character arc is that she is kind of the establishment and learns to not be. Yeah. I feel like Ariella is someone who's already kind of the hippie. 
well, no, that well, I mean, that's the character she plays in Runaways. I haven't really seen her in anything else, but it, like, I it seems like oh, we know she's really character. good at that. Yeah, like I feel like I feel like she would have been like a great Ridley, for example. Well, maybe we could table her and make her the the Norda. Like she's part of this establishment, but she's also like kind of apart from it in some way. I think I I think you're right, though. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make this Toria Padretti. Victoria Padretti, because that that feels more like the sort of character who could have the arc we're expecting her to have mm. as opposed like and it, it it would actually be an arc as opposed to with ariella bearer it would just be like oh we're fighting for what's right i'm in yeah yeah because i i do want to see a character that actually does kind of start from like this like hierarchy and kind of yeah. change their mind because i yeah. think that's good like when you have a story like this i agree good okay then let's move on to profion jeremy irons Scar himself. Who do Scar you have himself. to play Profion? So I wanted someone that like, I knew could kind of match the same kind of like really big energy that Jeremy Irons has that like can eat up stuff as the villain. Yeah. Uh, and because I had recently seen the menu, my my brain immediately went to to Ralph Fiennes. Uh, Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. That's yes, Ray Fiennes. Yeah, I I can very much see that. I have uh, Ray Fiennes is a little bit problematic, but that that's a separate issue. The other thought I had was Giancarlo Esposito. I mean, I love Giancarlo Esposito. That I would absolutely do that. Yeah. I. So for me, I went a little bit wormier. Like I okay. want someone who is just like, just like, oh, you shit. And he he's been in the Expanse. He's been in Enola Holmes. He's just because he is just the most English guy. And I know him specifically because in Pacific Rim, of the two scientists, he's the one that's not Charlie Day. Oh, I love him in that movie. He's great. His name is Bern Gorman. And like in the in Pacific Rim, even you're like, what are you up to? And he's just not that. But like, I want someone who's just like, no, you don't understand your highness. I am doing it for the kingdom. And I can just yeah. see him just being that Weasley, just like manipulating guy. And I think that's yeah. fun. And I mean this in the best way possible. He's got a face where he can definitely play older than he is. Yes. And I think we can play around with that. So yeah. I would push us towards Burn Gorman. You know what? I agree with that. I really like that idea a lot. But he needs an enforcer. Every Jeremy Irons needs his Damodar. He does. And you said earlier that you want kind of the silent enforcer. And who better represents a silent enforcer than Rory McCann? From Hot Fuzz, Jumanji the Next Level, and The Hound from Game of Thrones. Ooh, I do like The Hound quite a lot. And in Hot Fuzz, he is the guy who just says NARP. NARP. YARP? (laughs) All right, great. Good job. Oh, okay. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't think that would work. Um, I love that idea, actually. Um, I did not think of him. Uh, also influenced by a movie I saw recently, and I'm just like quiet and threatening, is uh, Dave Batista because I just saw Knock at the Cabin not too long ago. Yeah, and it's just like, oh man, so I just good. want him to have more work. Uh, I do too. He's so good. Yes, I just just imagine him walking slowly at you, speaking very calmly, <laughs> telling you uh, what he wants. It it it's intimidating. He's a yeah. scary guy. Yeah, if he wants to be, if he wants to be. Yeah. And I think that because he also has the ability to like be kind of disarming, he works in that scene with with Marina really well. Very much so. I I also because he is from the majocracy, 
like i i also find it interesting like damodar in this world is very physical all the time and like they they call him a wizard but we i don't think we ever actually see him we never do see magic. Him cast magic but we should we should see him do some we should see him do some but i want it to all be like enhancement magic yeah like he I never to see casts... him set fire to his sword yes that and like make himself like make himself like bigger muscles so he can punch harder yeah i that's what i think would be interesting they both could do that david yeah. is probably the correct cat choice because i think rory mccann is like 65 yeah david is around 40 yeah i mean that is the correct answer also blue lipstick come on you want to see david batista in blue lipstick i do now that's amazing i kind of want what we're actually going to do is we're going to make Dave Batista entirely blue, except for the lips. Red lipstick. No, no, no blue. lipstick. All blue. The only part of him that doesn't have any makeup on is the lips. Just, Just a complete reversal. <laughs> Gosh. Even do the inside of his mouth blue. Uh-huh. He is, uh, he is mainlining blue gushers the whole film. There you go. Okay, I love so it. then next I have our dwarf, Elwood Gutworthy. I really did. I really felt like I didn't have any good ideas for, for Elwood. Okay, so I gender swapped Elwood. Okay. I wanted someone who is, I will also, I didn't know that Elwood was going to be fitting in, would be like the third in our team of three. But I want someone who has an entirely different vibe, an entirely different sense of humor, an entirely different build, and is simultaneously funny and powerful and smart and this actress it was was on white lotus she was on saturday night live for a really long time she was on insecure her name is i wrote down Natasha, but i believe it's natasha rothwell oh yes i recognize her uh she's in is she in the sonic movie oh man does she play <laughs> does she's, she play the, she's the she's the sister in the in sonic 2 <laughs> She's so good. She's so funny in that. Um, she's my favorite character in that entire movie. I didn't realize that's who that was. She's just so put upon the entire time. She's so good. Now imagine her as a dwarf with an axe. I mean, I'm into it. So like the one thought that I did have was also to like totally change Elwood's character and make him like kind of a nihilistic grump who's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, why are we doing this? We're all going to die anyway but I couldn't really think of anyone to like place in that role. But that was like the thought I had was just like t- change the character completely. So they right. play into the dynamic differently. Let's make, uh, let's make Natasha Rothwell do that. That sounds amazing. That sounds great to me too. <laughs> That's hilarious. Man, those Sonic movies are way better than they have any right to be. A hundred percent. And I, I just love the fact that it's like, Oh no, we didn't get any money from Olive Garden. We just thought it was funny. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's it's the most ridiculous product placement in the history of cinema. Because it's not product placement. They just think it's funny. <laughs> I want to like know whose call- idea that was specifically. Like they called Olive Garden and they were like, hey, we just wanted to let you know we're going to be calling out your, your, your name in our movie. Like four times. We don't have our advertising budget for that. No, we don't need your money. We just want you to let you know that it's happening and you can't stop us. But it's, it's only positive. Okay. Yeah. Who was that? It was I have a their Sonic app on my movie. phone. <laughs> <laughs> they call out the phone app, delivery, unlimited breadsticks, and then here's a fifty dollars Olive Garden gift card for helping the U.S. government. Like, yeah, it's what? so good. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, 
I love those movies. I should get them on DVD. I should too. I really enjoyed them. I can't wait for yes. the third one. Oh, I need Shadow of the Hedgehog. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna kiss a real human woman. That's right. You bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's gonna be great. All right, let's talk about Norda. Okay. So uh, again, I kind of had like some trouble with with some of these characters because I feel like I'm not super familiar with a lot of newer actors nowadays because I haven't I don't go to the movies as much as I used to. But someone that I thought of because I really liked them in the Power Rangers movie, despite how not great the Power Rangers movie was, is Naomi Scott. Naomi Scott is great. I will always support Naomi Scott. I feel like she'd be good, like especially if we make the Norda role like have more to do. Mm-hmm. She can be kind of snide or sarcastic, almost like Marina's Spock, I think is kind of something to do with Norda as a character. Interesting. Like she can be a little more like sarcastic and like straight laced, which she kind of already is, but we can like yeah. magnify that more and give her more to do. Yeah. I, the way I saw the Norda character is she very specifically reminded me of another character and I just then cast that actress. Mm. But like she reminds me like because we we meet her as a villain and then she becomes more sympathetic as as the story progresses. Right. And I think that's the wrong choice. I think that Marina is the one just based on where she's going to sit in the world that we should have like kind of maybe not sure how we feel about her initially. But Norda should be someone that's like a little more likable and feels like a bridge between like especially if she's like a guard or a member of like some kind of military force that Marina's just already friends with. We we need to believe that she is tough and can beat people up and can right. be a member of this guard or the secret police or whatever mm-hmm. the, she is. And I think Kimberly the Pink Ranger is excellent for that. But who I went with is someone who I originally saw in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, but she's also in Preacher, she's in Passing, uh, and that's Ruth Nega. Ruth Nega? Yeah, N-E-G-G-A. See, I haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. either. I... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. goes off the deep end, is very strange, and, like, it's definitely just, like, yeah, you're not going to be really a part of the MCU anymore, but you can you can keep doing what you're doing. Who does she play in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? She is the woman in the red, in the flower dress. Eventually. There was a, an original woman in the flower dress, and then she gets replaced by Ruth Nega. She plays uh, Raina, R-A-I-N-A, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., girl in the flower dress. Oh, it looks like she's done a lot of theater. Yes. I definitely trust your judgment here because I'm I'm not super familiar with like a lot of newer actors. Well, it's also like I did like Naomi of... Scott in the in the Power Rangers movie. She, her yeah. and the the guy that played Billy in that movie, I think are the the two people doing the best. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it, the the other thing to keep in mind is that we also have to have, have a conversation about age. Like how old is uh the t- Victoria Pedretti? Uh, I think she's a, she, she's around 30, I think. Yeah, she so she's 28. Naomi Scott is 29. Ruth Nega is 41. It's 41. I think it's it's a good idea to cast an orf, uh, an elf, like, a little older, too. I think that makes sense. Sure. But, like, in, in terms of just, like, character dynamics and interactions, is that the interaction we want? Like, do we want someone who's, like, because I could see 28, 29, like, kind of an older sister vibe. Although, I don't think Naomi Scott would be believably playing her, like, an older sister vibe. Right. But it just depends on how much you want to lean into like the timelessness of an elf or whatever, like in the context of the movie. Yeah. I, and I definitely, yeah, I don't know. That's important. I think they're both good choices, but they're just very different people. Yeah. And I think someone that looks like definitely looks older than the person playing Marina. Mm -hmm. I think that does like leave you open to really do like the older sister vibe. And I think that might, that's good for like relatability, I think. Okay. All right. Ruth, Ruth Nega it is. As much as I, I like Naomi Scott. 
if it helps, Naomi Scott has been used for this podcast many times. It's wild to me that she was like on the list to be Rey in Star Wars. Was she? According to an article I read. Yeah. He would have been a really good Rey. Yeah. It's she's just incredibly charming and incredibly beautiful and an incredibly good actress. So it makes sense that she's like on the shortlist for all these different people. Like, cause I think she was also supposed to be a bond girl. Right. And I don't even remember if she was or wasn't. That sounds right. Yeah. Like, I think she was supposed to be the bond girl in whatever the newest bond movie was. And then that storyline got scrapped and she was replaced. And it was like pulling the actress from the previous movie, whose name escapes me. I don't know. I think Connelly, the one from, no no it doesn't matter but yeah like because i remember having a conversation where like we were talking when i remade james bond we had literally called out naomi scott as like she's the perfect bond girl and she's going to be a bond girl right like that was what was happening at the time and then that didn't happen which is a shame that is a shame so let's talk about empress savina for this role i went with someone who isn't necessarily as well known but I I wanted someone who we don't expect much from and then completely over delivers on the, that lack of expectations. So this actress I went with plays Gilly in Game of Thrones. She was also in Skins. She's also in something called Charlie Says. Her name is Hannah Murray. And Gilly, who is kind of the, the girl that goes with Sam in yeah. Game of Thrones... And she's great. She's wonderful. She's incredibly sweet. We don't necessarily expect her to like stand up for anyone and fight for anything. And that's kind of like that same sort of vibe we can have for the Empress here. She might be a little bit older than we were expecting. In the movie, she's like the child Empress. And I don't know that we necessarily need a child Empress. I kind of like the idea of the Empress being like as kind of polar opposite of the villain as possible. So like okay. I like the idea of it being like a younger like a younger girl, but it needs to be an actress that can like hold their own in a scene with whoever we cast with, with who we cast as Profian. Absolutely. So who did you so have like, for Empress Savina? I put down Sadie Sink. I don't know who that is. Tell me who that is. Uh, she plays Max in Stranger Things. So that like she has. Watched. Oh, uh, she was also in the Whale, but I haven't seen that either. I mean, um, neither have I. But it uh, seems sad. Yes. Uh, it does, <laughs> but see, Max's character is like she's rebellious, she's strong-willed, she's confident. She has to constantly like take up space and scenes with all these other like strong actors and actresses, like with Millie Bobby Brown, and she never mm-hmm. really felt feels like she's left behind in the show. Good, um, I, mean, I think she's great. Um, she also like she looks young, even like for her age. But I think she can really hold her own in a scene with like uh, with an older, more seasoned actor really well. Great. Let's go with her then. Good. Sadie Sink. So then that's it for actors that I had. I only have writer and director left. Do you have anyone else that I'm missing? So one, the other one that I wrote down was Zylus, the Thieves Guild guy. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, who's Riff Raff in, in the original, in, in, in the movie, uh, which he, Richard O'Brien is the guy that plays Zylus in the 2000 Dungeons Dragons movie, the uh-huh. Thieves Guild guy, and he's Riff Raff in Rocky Horror. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I did know that. Um... Wait, is he two movies that I've done so far this season? Hold on. Yup. This is going to be very embarrassing for me. So the movie that I remade two movies ago, my episode two, is Dark City. And he is also in Dark City. (laughs) And I just, I, I didn't recognize him at all. 
he's so good. Like until you just said right now, oh yeah, he's in Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm like, you son of a bitch. God damn it. That's embarrassing for me. Okay, so <laughs> who'd you have for Xylus? So I think that because he's going to be the leader of the Thieves Guild and we plant this idea of like honor among thieves, I think he should be someone that like we see and we immediately like are kind of primed to trust. And yeah. then I think it's a fun twist. So I wrote down Sam Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible. Like if just a face and a voice that audiences have been trained to trust for like 40 years. Yeah. That that's his whole job is to make a is to provide a trustworthy person. Oh my god, that's great! Right? Like I thought that was I thought that was like a great idea. It's just like he's supposed to be the master of this thieves guild, someone that like commands this place. So he's got to be someone that has charisma that we're going to believe. Oh, like, that yeah, has a presence sure. we believe. And then like we plant this idea that thieves they're supposed to be honor among thieves that they get along that they do things for each other and then we just turn it around so like why not use someone that we trust i just thought that was a, a great thought process oh, that's so good i love it that's amazing Wait. and then uh for writer director i i i i do not know <laughs> i could not think oh, really? of, of anything yeah okay that was like maybe the hardest thing i just sat and looked at it for a while i was like i have no idea who i would want to like write and direct this movie so I think you'll like my writer because I, I, so I have a writing team and then I have a director. Okay. So my writing team are the Duffer brothers from Stranger Things. Okay. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. It, it, it makes perfect sense. Like they, they spent all this time making Stranger Things because it sure seems like they've been wanting to make a Dungeons and Dragons movie, right. but they had to make Stranger Things instead. Right. And they'll just bring Sadie Sink with them. That's fine. Right. But it's, but they also did like Wayward Pines and everything. It's like they have like the compelling and interesting story and they have the world building. But they love Stranger, yeah. th- but they love Dungeons and Dragons, so like they know how to make it fun, and I think that that's what they can do. Yeah, all the D and D like playing scenes, like they really understand like what is supposed to be fun about role playing games. Exactly, and I think that that's important. Yeah, and also because my first pitch for who I should get to write this, I looked up, and turns out are the writers of the new D and D movie, so it doesn't matter. Oh, <laughs> it was uh, the guys behind Game Night. Nice. And I'm like, what yeah, it makes sense. And what a crazy idea. Other people thought the same thing I did. Apparently. Hollywood had the same idea you did. Yep. So then... the Means the, you're on the right track, Sam. Yeah. I love thinking in the same way as corporate speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for my director, I wanted someone who directs a compelling, interesting story that's very character-focused, but also has weird, crazy monsters in it. So <laughs> he's worked on something called Five Fingers for Marseille, something called Nautilus, but I know him because he directed a movie from 2020, which is why no one's really heard of it, called Love and Monsters. Love and Monsters. Which is this movie about, it's a Dylan O'Brien movie where basically the apocalypse happens and something happens and like just animals just get real big. Seven so years after the monster apocalypse. Yeah. So it's a monster apocalypse, like crazy animals everywhere. And Dylan O'Brien decides to leave the shelter and go track down his ex-girlfriend. Okay. And the monster design is fun. The movie's fun. It, it's a better movie than it has any right to be. And it came out in 2020. So like no one's seen it. Right. But it's great. And it's directed by a guy named Michael Matthews. Sounds good to me. Yeah. And so I'm just like, yeah. He, he directed a short film called Apocalypse Now Now. <laughs> good. I like it. That's Dungeons and Dragons 2000 
2024. That's right. Dungeons and Dragons 2024. No, no. Dungeons and Dragons 2000 2024. Perfect. (laughs) So, to play Ridley Freeborn, we have Anthony Ramos. Snails is going to be Rish Shaw. Marina will be Victoria Pedretti. Profion will be Byrne Gorman. Damodar will be Dave Batista. All blue. No, uh, no blue on his lips. Elwood Gutworthy will be Natasha Rothwell. Norda will be Ruth Nega. Uh, Xylus will be Sam Elliott. Empress Savina will be Sadie Sink. All of this will be written by Matt Duffer and Ross Duffer, a.k.a. the Duffer Brothers, and then directed by Michael Matthews. That is Dungeons and Dragons 2000, 2024. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Norman, you going to go see this movie? Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Always got to support my boy, Dave Batista. What what shape of popcorn bucket do you think we should be offering for this movie? The D12, because it's underloved. I agree. And we can't offer people D4s. I mean, it's just, that's just a cone. That's yeah. what you put like the, the like toasted nuts in. Yeah. It's a D4. You get like a D4 for this. Well, <laughs> for just this, if you want a sample cup to try any beverage, instead of it being like kind of a, a, a circular tetrahedron it's instead a triangle cone it's like oh you want a sample of a soda here you go it's a super small great it's got the numbers written on all the points (laughs) you have to drink out of a corner otherwise you just spill all over yourself right yeah (laughs) (laughs) or just snip the bottom off Ooh, there you go that that's that's for people who are uh going a little crazy and and want to prove their worth right good i love it for the barbarians among us yes (laughs) norman thank you once again for being a guest on ideal remake tell the people about where they can find you and what you may or may not be working on now that it is the end of may uh well with uh (laughs) no podcasts that i'm on full-time uh right now uh but since we're talking about Dungeons and dragons if you want to check out some third-party content i've made for pathfinder first edition uh you can search my name on drivethroughrpg.com and that you can search Norman Mitchell on drivethroughrpg.com and find the books that I've written and co-written and contributed to. Do the books have names? I've worked on two books for legendary games, legendary druids and legendary witches. Mm-hmm. And then for uh, my, I have a partnership with someone that I met through the legendary games discord server. And we produce our own books under orphaned bookworm productions. And awesome. we've released a handful of classes. The, vanguard for pathfinder first edition and fifth edition D, the spelljack for pathfinder first edition and fifth edition D, uh and my mind is a blank because i am tired uh <laughs> it is much later where you are than it is where i am <laughs> fair enough i haven't even eaten dinner yet and you're long past that it's true i am <laughs> uh but good everyone should check out norman's D books uh norman is really good at D&D and we should show him the respect that uh, he so deserves for being so. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. If you're interested in following me as of the time of recording, Twitter hasn't collapsed. So you can still find me on Twitter at Sam Gash, S A M G A S C H, or you can find ideal remake on Twitter, Instagram uh, at ideal remake, but more importantly, join the dueling genre discord. It's completely free and you can jump on the discord and shout at me about bad decisions I've made or tell me to remake movies. Cause I'm always looking for more movies to add to the list to be remade. It is very good. And I like when people do that. 
And also the best thing you can do for this podcast or any podcast is to go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It's been a while since someone left me a review and it would be lovely if if, uh, some people left me some more. That would fill my heart with joy. And since this is the episode that's probably going to be coming out closest to my birthday, it'd be a really nice birthday gift for me. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. And so we will end this episode the same way we end all episodes. Norman, what is your favorite quote from the movie Dungeons and Dragons? Actually, there's there's the haves and the have-nots and the gotta-gets. I, I actually liked that line. I it is it was a good one line. Of the better that, lines in the movie. It's genuinely a great line. <laughs> and that's about it. I don't know any other lines. Right? Yeah. Like, what else? What else is there to say? <laughs> good. All right, Norman. Thank you very much. You're welcome.